Welcome to the Sensitivity Sessions, a podcast for highly sensitive people about appreciating sensitivity and finding purpose as an HSP. I'm your host, Stephanie Gardner-Wright, a licensed psychotherapist and HSP coach. On today's show, we're talking about healing trauma as an HSP. So we'll talk about what is trauma? How do we know if we experience trauma and if it's affecting us and how can we heal it as an HSP, especially if it might show up differently for HSPs? So stay tuned because we'll be delving deep today into finding healing and specific ways that you can promote your own healing as a sensitive person. Okay, so what even is trauma? We hear this term being used a lot, which is great, frankly, because there's so much more awareness of trauma now than there was when I was coming up in grad school a decade ago. People weren't really talking about trauma 10 years ago, and it was something that was really just beginning to um, be something that the collective really knew about. So it's really cool to see more people on their healing journeys, more people that are psychoeducating about trauma and just really sharing signs of trauma. So also part of that is some more confusion about trauma because so many more of us are talking about it and there is more education. There can also be a sense that we may be on different pages when we're talking about trauma. So let's start by defining what trauma is. So this is my favorite definition of trauma that I've ever heard. And it is simply this, that trauma is anything that overwhelms your nervous system in the moment past its capacity to handle or process that. Now, that might sound a little heady at first, but all that means is that your nervous system gets so flooded during whatever is happening could be any event because trauma can be different for everyone and that your nervous system gets so flooded that it cannot process it gets stuck in the state of what we call over arousal and it can't come back down it can't self-regulate back to a lower state of what would be your baseline so when we get stuck in this place this kind of high up here nervous system over arousal when we're stuck up here and we can't come back down that's when trauma happens in the body. So a traumatic event is just anything, again, that happens that could cause this. So some of the things that we think about, oh yeah, of course that's trauma. We would think about something awful like sexual assault, or we would think about childhood abuse, seeing something on a really awful catastrophic level, like being being somewhere where there's raging wildfires or hurricanes, other environmental things, being at the Twin Towers when that attack happened, things that really are very catastrophic, being in a car accident, all of those things are things that most of us would go, yeah, I could see that could be traumatic. But where we can start to get into kind of a gray area where more of us might feel unsure is things that could be traumatic for some people and not for others. So this is where this definition is so important. Because what is traumatic for one person may not be traumatic for another. So it's very important that we understand the nuance and how nuanced trauma is. That it's all about our response to the trauma. Trauma really affects our perception of the world at its very core. When we are experiencing that, where we're unable to process something in the moment because our nervous system is so overloaded. What's happening after that is trauma is changing our perception of how safe the world is and our beliefs and perceptions about ourselves in the world. So we might see ourselves as victims or as just, you know, 
tossed around by fate and there's nothing that we can do to influence things. These are the type of thoughts that we would think if we have some unprocessed trauma. So there's been so much research on trauma at this point, which is incredible. And so part of what we know with that is that trauma is simply part of life. And and hear me on that when I say it doesn't mean that something that happened that was traumatic doesn't mean that that thing was okay. But it does mean that if you're here in a human body and you're on earth living a human life, you will and probably have already experienced trauma. It's simply part of the human experience. But that doesn't mean that we don't deserve healing. It doesn't mean that it doesn't deeply affect us, but it speaks to the nature of trauma being a part of life and how a lot of the research has shown and is still grappling with this question of why are some people affected by some particular traumatic event and others are not, maybe even within the same family. And as a clinician, I see this all the time where maybe two people were in a similar event, which you could call traumatic, and one person is deeply affected by that and the other person isn't. Why is that? Part of the reason is due to that nervous system elevation where we get so overstimulated and where we freeze and we're not able to process what's happening in the moment. We're just overloaded. Our capacity is done. So again, trauma being part of life doesn't mean that the trauma is okay. It doesn't make it okay or fair what happened, but we do need to understand this to understand the path forward in healing and to understand that we can absolutely move through trauma. We're not victims to its circumstance for the rest of our lives. It's not something that we are, that we have to be prey to, that we have to, it's not something that we have to be doomed to forever. So before we get any deeper into how trauma specifically affects highly sensitive people, you should also know another important detail about how trauma works in the brain, and that's regarding memory. So if you've had something traumatic happen and it's unprocessed trauma and still deeply affecting you, that memory is not stored in what we call sequential memory. So the area of the brain that's responsible for sequential memory is deeply related to speech. It's close by Broca's region, which is implicated in how we remember and process sequential memories. So what I mean by sequential is there's a beginning and a middle and an end. So you can say, I went to a party at house and here's what we did there. And then we went home after da da da. There's a beginning and middle and an end. So trauma is non-sequential memory. So it is stored in other areas of the brain, what most people would refer to more as the right-hand hemisphere of your brain. And so the part that is more creative, it's working more in terms of symbol, sensory memories. So a lot of people, if they're trying to articulate what happened to them, if they're telling the story of what happened with trauma, they have a really hard time finding the words. And there's a very good reason for that. It's because these memories literally are not held in the same area of the brain as that sequential beginning, middle, and end memory. They are held in the area of the brain where you have these fleeting sensory impressions. You might remember how something felt or a snapshot visual. And part of this is due to the state, the heightened state of overarousal that your nervous system was in at the time of the trauma. So this absolutely makes sense, and this is a normal part of how traumatic memory is stored. And so for healing, we'll come back to this a little later because I want to get into first how trauma specifically can impact HSPs. But for healing, this is why it's so important that we are not just talking about the trauma, 
that we can reconsolidate those memories because they are typically more nonverbal. And so we can't always get at them by using traditional talk therapy and no other tools besides that. So let's talk about how trauma can specifically affect highly sensitive people. Now, there's an interesting concept in the research and the literature on highly sensitive people called differential susceptibility. And what the literature has found about HSPs and trauma is pretty fascinating. So differential susceptibility is just a tongue twister that simply means this. HSPs are more influenced and impacted by their environments than less sensitive people. So if you are a child growing up in a very stressful environment, you're a highly sensitive child growing up in a stressful environment specifically, then you will be more impacted by that stress or any anything that's off in, in your family that you're aware of. Those things are all going to influence you more than they would someone who's not highly sensitive. And the research also shows that you will struggle more as a result. You're more likely to be seeking therapy services. You're more likely to simply by virtue of being more likely to have mental health challenges. Now, on the flip side, this is also true. So this is why we call it differential susceptibility, because the same is true if you grow up in more optimal conditions. So if you're a highly sensitive child, again, in this example, growing up where you have everything you need to thrive, you have parents that understand your sensitivity, and even if they don't call it that, they get you for who you are, and they love that. They're really saying to go do things that make you feel good, to support and appreciate your sensitivity, they can really get you in that way. So that's one example of how the reverse is true, where a highly sensitive kid growing up in that environment would do better than someone who is not highly sensitive. So to recap this really succinctly, a highly sensitive person is going to struggle more if they have a less than optimal environment, and they are going to do much better than your average non-highly sensitive person if given more optimal situations. Now, this can be a little hard to hear because many of us upon hearing that might go, I definitely did not par have parents or caregivers who appreciated or even applauded my sensitivity. That was not a thing. So what do I do now? And the good news here, so even if that is true for you as it is for many, the good news here is that this is not set in stone. So even if you have been negatively affected by the situations that you were in growing up or at different points in your life that they were adverse situations, what can happen when the research bears this out, what can happen is that it can be turned around at any point. So if you are all of a sudden in a situation which is more positive where for instance, you have, you're living with a roommate all of a sudden who understands you and lets you have your space. And you have maybe an employer who is really flexible and, and works with you and appreciates you for who you are. These are things that will help you thrive as a highly sensitive person, even if you had a, a less optimal experience growing up. So the hopeful side of this is that you're not doomed to live a really hard life because you had a less optimal situation growing up or at some point in your life. It can always be shifted, and the research is very clear on this, which is great. So let's talk typical ways that trauma can show up in highly sensitive people. And when I'm talking trauma at this point, I'm talking about 
unhealed trauma that's active that still feels very alive in you. So the first one is people-pleasing to an extreme. And the reason why I differentiate to an extreme is that it's typical and normal for highly sensitive people to have some degree of people-pleasing. Now, again, not to an extreme to where your needs are always dead last, regardless of what's happening, where you're automatically last. That would be extreme. And that's typically more related to wounding and trauma. But what is typical for highly sensitive people is to think about the needs of the group or the collective over that of the individual, aka yourself. So you'll more naturally think about, okay, this is what I want, but what's best for the group? What's best for most people or more people? And that's something that maybe most people would look at as people-pleasing, but the distinction there being that you can still put your needs first and set boundaries and do things that feel good for you. So when we talk about this extreme kind of people-pleasing, this is typically a trauma response that we see often in highly sensitive people. So where you would really be downplaying who you are as a person in response to how you think others might perceive you. And there's nothing wrong with that. These are ways that we survive trauma, often by be inoffensive or not rocking the boat. It's how we got through the traumatic time, especially if there's more complex trauma where this was a long period of time for you and not just a single incident where, you know, a single incident trauma is where we talk about, I was in a cataclysmic car crash, for instance. It's one time and then it's over. But complex trauma is something that's more developmental. Usually it's happening for years, could be decades at a time. So when that happens, you're more likely to see people-pleasing behavior to this extreme where you're prioritizing other people's needs, but at an extreme detriment to yourself. You're being so selfless that you're being a doormat. I don't mean any disrespect in saying that. It's, It's often how people are feeling that they can't stand up for themselves. And even if they wanted to, that they would feel completely powerless to to exert their own will. So this is really one major red flag for active trauma. If you are saying one thing to feel like you need to appease someone or you feel like you can't speak your truth, you can't really say what you think to them, even in a kind and gentle way for fear that they would leave you or not love you or reject you. So these are all ways that this extreme form of people-pleasing can show up in a way that just may not be working for us anymore. The second way that's a typical way that active trauma can show up for highly sensitive people is having a tough exterior but feeling really fragile inside. So if someone were to meet you, you would probably have sky-high walls, maybe with a barbed wire fence around it and a moat with crocodiles. Nobody's getting in through those walls. No one can to get in to get to the real. You've protected yourself. You've you know, built a fortress around yourself. And again, there's nothing wrong with this. This is a valid survival tactic. It worked very well at one time or else you wouldn't have done it. And it was brilliant. But if you're feeling like you're chafing at it now or it's preventing you from connecting to other people or receiving love, it simply means that you've outgrown the survival tactic. And there are maybe other ways of relating to people that you can start to ease into. And this is part of the healing with trauma. So Having a tough exterior as an HSP could look like other people would never believe that you were a highly sensitive person because even though you have deep emotions 
and deep experiences, others don't ever get to know about that. You hide your tears, you don't cry in front of other people, or you don't let them know how deeply you feel. You're masking all the time so that no one ever sees a chink in your armor, that they don't see you as weak. Now, this is something I have a lot of personal experience with, and it has been a long journey for me, both personally and professionally, to begin letting some of those chinks in the armor get wider and know that it's safe to do so. You're in good company on this one, and this is a very common trauma response that we can have uh, when we really need to feel like we have to protect ourselves in some way. So again, this response makes sense. And this is a common way that it can show up for highly sensitive people. Another one is addictions of any kind. So addictions typically let us know that there's some kind of need being fulfilled or some kind of attachment to some substance there. Now, when I say substance, it could be drugs. It could be alcohol. It can also be something like gambling or compulsive shopping. Anything can be an addiction as far as I'm concerned. Now, we won't get into the splitting hairs over what qualifies as an addiction or not. There is some, definitely some controversy about what qualifies as an addiction with some very legitimate perspectives on an, ad an addiction really needs to be life-threatening in some way before you can get treatment. So that's maybe not how I'm talking about addiction in this specific way. It could be relevant. However, in this general way, addiction is really something where you are channeling emotions into some use of some kind. Again, whether that's food, alcohol, drugs, compulsive sex, something else. These are ways that we get our needs met and express emotions more subversively that aren't getting out in any other way. So that's often a sign that we have some unhealed, unprocessed trauma. And another way that we can know that there's active trauma that really needs to be processed are boundary issues. Now, this is a big one for HSPs as well and other sensitive people that are empaths too, where we either have, again, those sky-high fortress-like boundaries or we have no boundaries at all. They're like Swiss cheese. There's holes all through them. There's no boundary at all to where people can do whatever they want. And we either don't say anything, we let them do it, and we have a lot of feelings about it inside, or we try to convince ourselves that it's okay, that we don't get to have a boundary, that we don't deserve to have a boundary. So one challenge for highly sensitive people who struggle with boundary issues to navigate and having a boundary issue as a highly sensitive person, I'm not saying that means that you have trauma. But if you are yo-yoing between the extreme of either you have such high rigid boundaries that no one can ever get in, or you have on the other side of that yo-yo, you have no boundaries to where someone can do whatever they want or you feel like you can't set a boundary, those are typically indicators that there's some unhealed stuff happening. Now, most HSPs, at least from time to time, will slip up with a boundary or you'd be going, oh, I really overcommitted myself on that. That doesn't feel so great. I'm going to be a little more vigilant about that next time. But we're talking about really chronic, very consistent, either lack of boundaries or feeling like you can never, can never let anyone in where you're just really prickly with people. And another way that HSPs can often 
see in their lives that mean that there's unhealed trauma are significant health issues. Now, again, a little caveat, this is not to say that if you have a significant health issue, you have unhealed trauma. It's overly simplistic. That's not automatically true. But if you take other things into consideration and just look at this as one sign, especially with maybe if it's along with some of the other things that I've just shared that can be ways that trauma shows up in HSPs, significant health issues can be a part of that puzzle. So this can, it doesn't automatically, but it can include autoimmune disorders. That's often a way that HSPs will see these chronic health conditions arise if we're stuffing emotions, if we're not feeling like it's safe to express our truth or to get our needs met. And again, it doesn't mean that you automatically have trauma because you have an autoimmune disorder. These are just ways that it can potentially show up, especially along with other things. And um, sleep disorders and GI tract issues are also really common ways that these chronic health issues can show up, which alongside other things that are present can help us paint a picture of, okay, we've got some unhealed trauma or we've got some things that, you know, need to be expressed that aren't so sleep disorders specifically if we have insomnia where it's really hard to get to sleep there's typically a lot of anxiety present you might be having nightmares where you're re-experiencing aspects of the trauma that's incredibly typical and with the gi tract issues again that's very anxiety related and there's a lot of anxiety in unhealed trauma and understandably so because the world feels unsafe to us after trauma happens so the gut is actually what is directing our brain a lot of the time to to release certain chemicals and it's it's updating our brains constantly and it actually has almost as many neurons as the brain does it's a close second behind which is pretty wild so the gut brain is not a misnomer it very much is like a second brain center and actually some people would call it the first brain because our gut even before our brains are fully developed when we're little babies. Our gut is really the source of where we can discern things at, as we say, at a gut level, whether they're right or wrong for us. So there's a lot of wisdom to be had by tapping into our gut. And if we listen to the messages that it's giving us, if we have IBS, chronic constipation or diarrhea, or we have very significant food sensitivities. And again, I'm not saying that any of these specific things are caused by trauma necessarily, but they are all part of a puzzle. And we have to look at things holistically because trauma is not something that only happens up here above the neck. It is something that affects your entire body. And if you believe in energy, it affects your energy field as well. You know, how other people can sense you and what you're giving off and the kind of energy signature that you have. It affects us holistically. So we need to talk about these things holistically too in order to be able to heal and treat them. So let's talk next about why your mileage may vary treating trauma as a highly sensitive person. Now I'm speaking now, especially if you're working with a provider like a therapist or a, another, another healthcare provider that's qualified, for instance, typically is going to be a therapist in this situation. So one big reason is therapists, unfortunately, are still, many of them are not well-versed in the trait of high sensitivity. They may mistake high sensitivity for other things or not get the nuance of how the, tra the trait can affect things. And so we, you may be working uphill in that way. 
Now, there is a wonderful directory that Dr. Elaine Aaron initially put together of highly sensitive, competent providers. And I will put the link for you in the show notes because I'm blanking on at the moment, but it is at hsperson.com. And she does have a list of therapists that is international. So you can, if you're in the United States, you can look by state and see who in your state is on the registry that has um, passed a, a test of knowledge saying they, they have a basic level of knowledge about high sensitivity. If you're international, you can also find countries where there's there are providers. This also includes medical doctors and coaches as well. There are some directories for those on site. So that is great because that's an important part of being a highly sensitive person. If you are addressing trauma through therapy treatment, then it is helpful to have a therapist who perhaps is highly sensitive themselves or at least has a working knowledge of high sensitivity. Now, another thing that can impact this where your mileage may vary is the methods might be intense. They might not be gentle enough. So this is just something to keep in mind. And depending on how much you care about what modality a therapist might use is just something to know about yourself as a highly sensitive person and your nervous system that more typically with a more responsive nervous system as we have as highly sensitive people on top of that with trauma, then you're looking at potentially either more reactivity or less reactivity. Having that hypo arousal to something is part of trauma. It can be part of the trauma picture where you're numb and nothing really charges you up as opposed to hyper arousal where you're hypervigilant and you're jumping every little sound. Those are both normative responses to trauma, especially if we're talking PTSD. So some of the methods might feel a little intense for you. And I've heard really great things about EMDR, for instance, and it's a wonderful modality. But I have heard from some highly sensitive people that there are maybe specific forms of EMDR that just feel a little too wide open for them, especially if they have more complex trauma. So if you can find something that's a little more gradual, builds more safety, and of course, safety building is a part of EMDR, uh, but there are different different kind of variants of EMDR, for example. I'm not picking on EMDR here. I have nothing against EMDR. I think it's a very powerful methodology. But just as an example of how how something can be used in a way that may or may not feel the most supportive to you. So some of this will be just playing around and seeing what works. But just know that a more gentle, gradual approach is typically helpful for more HSPs than not. So another reason that your mileage may vary with trauma treatment as an HSP is that you really need extra time in order to get to know a practitioner. So whether that's a therapist, a medical doctor, if you're working with another healer and another modality, getting to know them to where you can trust them often takes more time than it will if someone is not highly sensitive. So having a practitioner that understands this and can really project that safety with you and go slow with you and not rush you, not hurry you, very important. And again, some of that is trial and error, just seeing, do we resonate with this person and their approach? If not, we maybe can try again and move on to someone else. There's nothing wrong with that. So at the end of the day, healing trauma that's active trauma is all about reprocessing and memory reconsolidation. There are many ways to do this, but this is literally what we're doing when we're processing trauma. So trauma as it affects us, so if we have PTSD or maybe even if we haven't been diagnosed, but we can tell that there's some activation that's really disturbing our day-to-day lives, then what's really happening is that our thoughts have been 
changed. Our perception, again, of that safety of the world has been changed by trauma. So when we can reconceptualize the trauma as a part of our story, it's not all of the story. So it's not the only way that we can relate to the world is through our trauma lens that we can see it as part of what happened in our lives. And there have been other parts of that story, too. So we're trying to bring it into the timeline of our lives instead of it feeling like it's floating out on an island way over here and there's no way to make sense of that. And again, part of why it feels like that initially when you're beginning trauma treatment is because of the sequential versus non-sequential memory that we talked about earlier. So trauma often feels integrated over on a polar ice cap of its own because it's not that sequential memory as we discussed. So that's very normal. But there are different ways that we can reconsolidate memory to where the trauma feels more manageable. It doesn't feel so unapproachable and so terrifying that we can't even approach it. We can't talk about it because our nervous system will begin to spike every time we get close to it or begin to depress and get hypo aroused where we feel sleepy, we feel catatonic, lethargic. Those are all ways that we can respond in either direction, either jumpy and feeling really scared and hypervigilant or feeling lethargic and sleepy when the trauma feels like it's getting too close. So part of our initial work is learning how to start approaching it. So some of the modalities that that I think are really helpful and that I've gotten good feedback from colleagues and other highly sensitive people are ego state work. So some people might know internal family systems where we are seeing different parts of ourselves as all having different voices. So almost like a Greek chorus of voices, if you will, not to say that you are are hearing voices, but that there are different parts of you that hold different experiences, different neural networks of you even that have different opinions and perspectives. And so that can be a very helpful approach when working with trauma because it allows us to bring all of our parts to the party, you know, that, hey, all of me is okay instead of trying to shove away an aspect of us like, oh, no, we cannot talk about that. I, this part is too much or it has evil thoughts, something like that. This is really a nice curious way of getting to know yourself. Another thing that can be helpful are bilateral stimulation reprocessing systems like EFT and EMDR. So EFT is emotional freedom technique. There are trauma treatment related aspects of that. As I personally have a lot of love for sand tray therapy before I went fully virtual with all my clients, I was pursuing formalized training in sand tray therapy. And that is a wonderful technique where it's really using the nonverbal symbolic power of our brain. So again, we get to bypass the language in sand tray and we get to create an image or a scene in the sand, which can be very healing. Maybe I'll go down that rabbit hole in another episode for anyone who's interested. And another great modality that a lot of people find helpful either on its own, it's usually integrated more with a form of talk therapy or another one of the therapies that I mentioned would be somatic-based therapy. So somatic therapy is all about body intervention. It's about being embodied, feeling safe in our bodies, finding a home in our bodies, and helping to downregulate our nervous system into safety. So these can all be very powerful ways, together or separately, to help treat trauma. And at the end of the day, modalities are great, and I can nerd out on those all day, but the relationship with your provider, whoever is walking alongside you in treating that trauma, is the biggest indicator of success in treatment if you're going the therapy route. Because a witness that's there to safely 
witness your trauma and walk alongside you is invaluable because most trauma is is created in an interpersonal setting. It's created in relationship, and so we need a relationship to heal it. We cannot heal trauma in a bubble on an island on our own. It has to be in relationship to truly be transformative and effective. So let's talk quickly about ways to promote healing alongside of therapy. So either while you're in therapy or maybe doing something else, taking a break, But these are also ways that you can address trauma outside of the one little facet of our everyday existence, which is being in the therapy room. So obviously that's one hour of your entire week if you are in therapy. And if you're not, that's great too. But ways that you can promote healing on your own outside of therapy would be being in nature, which is incredibly healing for highly sensitive people, both with trauma and also just in general to help you reconnect with yourself and downregulate. So daily time in nature would be ideal for an HSP in general, but especially someone who's experienced trauma. Nervous system regulation is going to be huge. So that involves managing overstimulation, learning how to downregulate your system and cortisol. There's a variety of ways that you can do that. And it also helps your brain to create these new neural pathways where instead of going into fight or flight response, fight, flight, Fun or freeze are those four responses that you can have more choices and more resources that are accessible to you. There's a variety of ways that you can regulate your nervous system. Some are as simple as being with someone that you trust, co-regulating. That's what we call it when someone else's nervous system in a calm state is helping us to feel regulated. We can also do things like if you see my video right now, I'm just putting my hand over my heart and letting it sit there over my chest. And this helps to downregulate cortisol. There's certain breathing exercises you can do, like bumblebee breath. That's also called Brahmari Pranayama. Alternate nostril breathing, glowing bubbles, if you like to play and tap into your inner child. All of these things can help us to downregulate back into a feeling of safety and security in our nervous system. And this is huge after we've experienced trauma and to promote ongoing healing. Other things that we can do on our own are EFT tapping, lots of great resources for that, meditation, breath work, and journaling to be able to verbally process to ourselves the experiences that we're having as we're in healing because it can ebb and flow and there can be times of intense emotion or reflection. And journaling has been really shown to be really helpful with that. And as an HSP, being creative in a way that feeds your soul is probably going to be really important to you in a healing journey. So our self-expression can go underground in response to trauma. And a way to reconnect with ourselves on a soul level is to begin to allow ourselves to play and be creative, to find some agency through creating. And also another way that we can help ourselves heal from trauma is unlearning who we think we should be or who others think we should be, because those are often parts of masks that we've kept to keep safe. And so beginning to find these other possibilities for ourselves can be really healing. Fostering self-compassion, which is the opposite of shame, is also a big one for healing. So I really like, I really like a lot of the self-compassion meditations that Tara Brock has on her website. Her name is T-A-R-A-B-R-A-C-H. 
You probably have heard of her. She's amazing. Can't recommend her enough, but her meta ETA loving kindness meditations are fantastic for following along with. And finally, what's your story about yourself? How do you relate to yourself and your trauma? Does it feel like the trauma is all that there is to say about you, that you relate to the world through your trauma? Or can we find some wiggle room in the story about yourself and that there are other things about you that are not related to the trauma or maybe strengths that you found about yourself as a result of healing and being on an initial healing path from this trauma. So the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves are very important in trauma healing. And just a quick aside on expectations for healing. So healing is something where healing from trauma can feel like it gets darker before it gets lighter at first. And instead of a straight line of progress or an upward motion of progress, it's most like a spiral where we keep coming around to the same issues over and over, but we have more resources and we have more knowledge and uh, more ability to respond in a different way. And so I love that idea of the spiral with healing because it really gives us more flexibility and it's more reasonable because healing is definitely not that straight line of progress. There's a lot of jogs over and end up and sometimes it looks like a scribble and a spiral is a good expectation to set for ourselves. If we come to a place and go, wait, I've been here before. I thought it was past this. I should be through this by now. I've done years of healing or months of months, weeks of healing. Why am I at this point again? It's because healing is like a spiral and we just have another opportunity to respond in a different way. I hope that this gives you some helpful ideas for healing. That's our show for today. Make sure that you subscribe and like this episode if this was helpful for you. And I'm Stephanie Gardner-Wright, your host, and I'll see you next time on the next episode of Sensitivity Sessions. Bye for now.